That's a gain of five yards, which means first down for this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, in less than two weeks, I will be in Los Angeles with Multitude. We will be at Podcast Movement Evolutions. We will be doing a live show for Potterless and Horse on Friday the 14th. At the time of recording this, there is one ticket left. So if you want to go, hurry. And if we're sold out, I'm very sorry. Hopefully we'll come back to the area very soon. But if you want to see some other Multitude stuff that is going down while we're in LA, there's more than just the Potterless live show. There is so much happening. Check it all out at multitude.production slash live. Also, it is the first episode of Potterless in February, meaning it's donation time. Here at Potterless, every month we donate $1 for every member of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless to a different charity. At the time of recording, we have 879 patrons, meaning we'll be donating $879 to the Trevor Project. I wanted to choose this charity for January in light of JK's tweets that were happening at the time, but Australia happened and that was more pressing. So for February, I'm picking the Trevor Project. They do great work. They're the leading national organization that provides crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQs under 25. They do so many different things. If you want to learn more about what they do, head on over to thetrevorproject.org. And thanks to Lada Bartova, a producer-level patron, for the suggestion. Finally, I'll address this here, even though I said I wasn't going to talk about this anymore. More information came out about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation. Some audio was released making Amber Heard look even worse. And I'll just say, I admit that I was wrong to jump on a situation with such a definitive stance before I knew all the information about it, but my instinct was to believe a woman that was standing up against what she said was her abuser, and I trust that instinct, and I will have that instinct going forward, but that being said, I will be sure to look more into things before taking a really harsh stance like I did with this situation. But let's round up this intro on a happier note, and what is the happiest note that we can do? It's mentioning our new patrons that join the team. So shout out to Gerald Monreal, Laura Avila, Eva Wilson, Erica Swan, Samantha Z, Emma Hart, Beck Skolnick, Natasha Hillier, Hannah Eliza Wadrick, Elliot Fogo, Anke, Isabel, Iona Gilbraith, David Kirkpatrick, Andrew Scott, Andrea Kaplan, and the return of Thomas McDonough. Shout out to Melissa M. Dickinson, who upgraded their pledge, and a huge shout out to our new producer-level patrons, Maria, and the return of Matt Barger. They join the ranks of Vicky Aaron, Jesse Clown, Marchismo, Samantha Juan, Rosemary, Maria, Lisa, Romina, Audra, Eleanor, Rossan, Nikita, Ali, Amelia, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Takari, Haley, Muster, Ingen, Alex, John, Noel, Emily, Liz, Brandon, Sarah, Claire, Rory, Gloria, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Ivor, Naomi, Summer, Andrea, Lynn, Justin, Christine, Jacob, Toothless, Maya, Mark, Polly, Netta, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addy, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Alicia, Kafir, Lindy, Sarah, Marta, Erin, Eileen, Violet, Lindsay, Keegan, Miranda, Gail, Ann, Mr. Folk, Maya, Kieran, Lily, Wire Warrior, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Peter, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Daniel, Lee, Lily, Elizabeth, Michael, Tiffany, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Mary, Jennifer, Jaden, Nedry, Will, Samantha, Kayla, Aurora, Emma, Out of Context, Marcos, Hannah, Courtney, Victoria, Marie, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, Julie, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Anna, Fake, Brianna, Jenny, Sarah, McKenna, Mary, Joy, Heather, Dead Cat Lady, Javi, Darlene, Brad, Thomas, Charlotte, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Chrissy, Bugaboo, Jarl, Haley, Emma, Ashley, Peter, Sophie, Jack, Jen, and Nicole, Callahan, Kylo, Leah, Melissa, Jordy, Bella, Melanie, Bill, Victoria, Joe, Elizabeth, Britt, Molly, Becca, Anthony, Rees, Adam, Madison, Kyle, Tonks, G, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, David, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never forget where they put their wireless earbuds and then are forced to play music really loudly on their phone to try to listen where the earbuds are and walk around their apartment trying to find them. Don't worry, I did find them. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, exclusive live streams, director's commentary, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 111 of Potterless, the second of three parts about the seventh movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, guest starring Jonas Robinette, Helen Zaltzman, and Martin Ostwick. Hello, Internet, 
and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who didn't read the Harry Potter novels as a kid, but then read them as an adult and is now watching all the movies. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined again by three lovely humans in person. I've got Jonas, aka Joe Nasty Draws, and on the internet across America, even though they're from across the pond, we've got Helen Zaltzman and Martin Ostwick. Everyone, how's it going? It's going great. Tremendous. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> We should be more excited. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been minutes since we've talked about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, the movie. But we are going to keep it going. We did not get very far into the movie in Part 1, but it's okay. <laughs> I believe in us in this Part 2. <laughs> I feel like we've also dispatched some of the things that otherwise we might have chronologically said later. Uh, this is true. But we got them done early doors. Yeah. yeah, so we'll just move it right along and keep it going. Yeah. We left off at praising the scene where Ron and Harry kind of argue a little bit back and forth. But then, as they walk back towards the burrow, they do something that the movies make a habit of. This started in the sixth movie and has crept into the seventh, is that when people talk about important plot points related to Horcruxes, they always are either whispering, mumbling, or talking really quickly. And in this case, they are mumbling and talking really quickly. Ron's like, okay, so you have Horcruxes left, right? And you destroyed them. What's left? I don't know. I got to figure out where they are. Do you have an idea where they are? It's like, can we slow down? This is literally the plot of the film. It would be nice if we all talked very clearly and coherently about what is happening. Maybe they're like, yeah. we've got to do all this bollocks with the Deathly Hallows, so let's not talk too much about the Horcruxes because people are going to get really confused. Jonas, as someone that didn't read the books, are you comfortable with what is happening here? Was it a little bit confusing? I've always wondered this is so, trying to separate from my book knowledge from what they actually portray in the even, film. Even though I never really read the books, I know a lot of Harry Potter lore. Okay. Like I know about Horcruxes mm -hmm. and all that and, and the Deathly Hallows and, and everything. So it wasn't too confusing because I'm like, okay, I know Harry is a Horcrux. Right. right? Yes, yes. Okay. But I don't know what other objects are Horcruxes. I don't know what that thing is that they had to destroy in this movie. The one thing. Oh, the locket. Yeah, just more Horcruxes. That's all I asked for. <laughs> just not the one spent on one movie. Yeah, I just don't think they ever did an incredibly sound job of explaining exactly the process behind it. Because in the sixth movie, they leave out some of the flashbacks that explain it. And then in the seventh, by not having a narrator, it's hard. Yeah. But I think this was really done dirty because in the sixth, they just really mess up all of it, mm -hmm. so that by the time the seventh comes around, there's only so much that they can go off of to teach you. Yeah. Well, what have they messed up in the sixth, maybe? They left out one of the pensive trips. The whole thing oh. that mm -hmm. Dumbledore and Harry do in the sixth book is that they keep having these little coaching sessions where Dumbledore shows through the pensive, glimpses into Tom Riddle, Tom Riddle slash Voldemort's past, mm -hmm. as he is becoming more and more evil, how he learns about Horcruxes, how he starts to make them, etc., and some of what the items are and why they're important, like the ring and the locket is a separate thing, but they also kind of glance over that really quickly in the sixth movie. So I think it's just kind of lost about what the Horcruxes are and how they have to find them. They also add this weird thing where in the movies, when you touch one, you can figure out where the next one is kind of thing. There's oh. just there a main way that they try to convey this is through really rapid visions in Harry's brain yeah. that are inherently confusing for Harry to understand. And thus 
the viewer of the movie, so it doesn't help. That does sound confusing. It's I don't know. It's not very well done. I'm sorry you had to go through that, Sheeps. Well, I didn't have to go through because I've read the books. I feel bad for people that haven't. I was so confused. <laughs> In your investigation of these movies, have you found whether they tend to work for people who have not read the books, or is reading the books really the only way to get through them? What I found as a whole, especially through doing these episodes where one person has always not read the books, I think the movies do a good enough job of conveying the big picture items and all of the major actions that take place. I think the biggest thing that gets lost along the way is the emotion behind things. Mm. So you lose out on some character motivation. You lose out on why things are significant. You lose out on why some things are supposed to evoke certain emotions just because it feels like they're just going through the motions of, oh, well, this thing happened, so we have to do this thing, but you don't necessarily get to see why that thing is so important or heart-wrenching or whatever. Yeah. For example, the the Molly situation where she didn't really have, it didn't feel like anything, any emergency coming from her or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think you can still get the major plot across but you lose out on you lose out on some stuff and some characters get portrayed differently ron is really dopey in the movies for the most part mm. and he's a lot more competent in the books so he, i think it's is he? <laughs> he's at least a little more put together and knows some stuff i think he's an essential member of the squad because he has the wizarding background so sometimes he can contribute things well i feel like he, he there's something that happens off screen isn't there where he's he saves someone's life and then uh, the other character's like, Ron? <laughs> oh, speaking of things that happen off screen, Mad-Eye Moody dies off screen. Does he, is, is he really dead? He deserves more. He also dies off book screen, too. And that's why I always thought uh, he was coming back. This is a, one a of my classic choice. predictions in Potterless that went wrong. Is I really thought Mad-Eye Moody was coming back, for sure. I, I don't know if this is going to be a spoiler. You can take this out if you want. There's no spoilers at this point. <laughs> um, it's, it's about the eighth movie. That's fine. No, I've seen it. We're so um, George dies, right? Fred dies. Fred, Fred dies, but isn't that off screen also? You just see his dead body, or I, I, I've never in the really books. In the books, you see it, and I believe in the movies, you see it too. Okay, I just never uh, hold that thought there, Jonas. Past Mike was incorrect. The death of Fred in the movie is off screen. You just have the squad walk up and see everyone crying about Fred's death. So my bad on that one. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, they killed the good acting twin. <laughs> <laughs> well, because like I remember. What? Because you know, I told you, I, I was watching this with the girl I was dating, and mm-hmm. we were watching at this four in the, four in the morning. So I'd fall asleep in and out, and the next thing I know, I see what's his <laughs> Fred name? Dead. Fred dead, and who? Um, what's his name? Percy, <laughs> George, <laughs> Harry, Ron. No, no the piglet, <laughs> the guy that Gerald. turned into a dog. <laughs> oh, Sirius Black. Sir, not Sirius Black or Lupin. Lupin is a werewolf. Okay. I, I see Lupin dead, right? Yes. I, I didn't see him die. That one is an off-screen one. Okay. So they do the mix of off-screen and on-screen things. So in this movie, it is much like the book where they just come by and you hear that Moody is dead, but that's it. Hmm. But differently, in the movie, once Moody's dead, nobody gives a shit about Moody anymore. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in the books, they do care more about him when they are doing the heist in the ministry and they break into Umbridge's office. She has Moody's magical eye hooked up to her door. Oh, yes. As oh. some sort of magical peephole of sorts. And then Harry steals it mm. and he ends up burying the eye under a really knotted tree to sort of pay homage to Moody. Mm-hmm. So they care a little bit more about him. But in this movie, it's like, oh, Moody's dead. Okay, cool. Let's keep going. But you do see that, don't you, in the film? 
You see the eye, but it, you don't know that it's Moody's eye. Isn't it in the locket? No, so that's a different eye. That's Voldemort's eye. Moody's uh, like actual physical magical can't eye. Can't you keep track of the different eyes <laughs> and the mirror eye? There's a whole eye motif, isn't there? <laughs> so many eyes. There is an eye on Umbridge's door in the yes. film, isn't there? Oh, it is there. I but didn't she's not there, it. so they can't go, oh, where did you get that cool eye? <laughs> I found it on the ground. Because well, in the book, Harry steals it. So he just leaves it there in the movie? That's sad. I was looking for it, but maybe I just didn't see it. I don't know if he leaves it. You see it at the beginning, but you don't see it at the end when he leaves, I don't think. How is it not attached? I think they had it attached where a peephole goes, and then on the other side of it, there was what looks like a telescope so that she could look through it or something. It's a much more ornate setup in the book, and Harry destroys it, and that's what initially gives away that he was in her office. Whereas in the movie, he just kind of walks out, and people see him, and they're like, Rumcorn? Huh? Anyway, I think they just didn't care about Moody, and that's sad, because Moody's important. I was sad about Moody. They've got another Gleason in this to concentrate on. They've got Donal. <laughs> They've got enough to go around. Yeah. So everyone goes to bed, and then they're getting ready for the wedding the yes. next day or a couple of days after. And I do love that they have the scene where Harry and Ginny have an intimate moment where... Ginny needs the back of her dress zipped up, which is not how it's done in the book. But in the movie, they just, for some reason, decide that the way that Harry and Ginny show intimacy is by fixing each other's clothes. Yeah, like middle-aged people. because <laughs> I felt like that was very British. That's not how we demonstrate affection by like, oh, let me pull up your sock. <laughs> <laughs> like British people do. In, in movie sex. six, there's the really awkward scene where Ginny ties Harry's shoe and then they kiss. And now in this one, Ginny has him zip up the back of her dress. And Harry takes way too long to zip it up. Yeah. Do you not know how zippers work, Daniel Radcliffe? No, because wizards have never been taught to fuck or to do up other people's zippers. There it is. Yeah, yeah they just do with their wands. Yeah. yeah, can she not just do it herself with her wand? No, that's not intimate enough. <laughs> She's using it as an excuse. <laughs> yeah, she could steal a moment of intimacy with Harry as a zipper or shoelace-related uh, request. It is desperate. <laughs> it's, that's how you do it. That's her signature move. <laughs> that's how you get people with zippers. <laughs> Harry goes over, zips it up, and then they kiss. And then George does the great thing where he sees them doing this and sticks a knife in the hole in his ear ah. and then just awkwardly sees them and goes, morning. I don't know. If I was a brother, I saw my little sister kissing some dude, I'd be like, oh, I gotta leave. Uh, yeah, I would not do that. I'd do a quick pivot 180. It's like that gif of the old grandpa from The Simpsons where he comes in, takes his hat off, yeah. puts it on the hat rack, immediately <laughs> turns around, puts his hat back on, and leaves I was the thinking door. more of the baby that runs in and then like gets really shocked and runs back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know, George is always there to make a joke, I so know. he's got to do it. I mean, when you own a business, it's all pranks. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you have to take advantage of <laughs> it every becomes situation. becomes your life. It's tax deductible. No spreadsheets, just pranks. That's business. <laughs> So then you have the scene where Scrimger comes in with his gross hair and Ugh. he gives the things that Dumbledore has left for Harry in his will. Mm -hmm. And the first of which he gives the Deluminator, which I wouldn't even get into about how this thing should be called the Put-Outer, not the Deluminator, a whole big another argument that I've made too many times on the podcast, <laughs> but gives the Deluminator slash Put-Outer to Ron and then gives the book to Hermione and then gives the Snitch to Harry mm -hmm. and then can't give the sword to Harry because they say the sword is missing. And that is different in the book to the movie because in the book, I believe that they just refuse to give 
him the sword because they've confiscated it. And then there's the whole thing that they don't end up really showing in this movie or the eighth movie where there is a copy of the sword at the school and they think that's the real one, but it's actually a duplicate that Snape had in his office that Bellatrix put in her vault and all this other stuff. People probably sell like fake swords of Gryffindor just as souvenirs in the wizard world. <laughs> I it seems like they would. I think this is... Probably a smart choice on the movie's part, though, just to make things a little bit easier. Yeah. This is already very complicated, isn't it? So yes. there's a scene later where Bellatrix gets pissed off because she thinks that someone's gone into her vault. So she thinks she's got the real sword in her vault. And how did the real sword not... Uh, I don't... Like, wh why is it in a lake? For Arthurian imagery. That's why it's in the lake, Martin. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. she's point. borrowed from uh, classical literature. <laughs> so in the book, what's supposed to happen is that Snape has what they think or that they're lying is a real version of the sword in his office. And then they decide to guard that for safekeeping in Bellatrix's vault because Voldemort knows that it can destroy Horcruxes. Right. But... They've already done the switcheroo, and this is who did the a fake version. Dumbledore and Snape set it up. Ah, uh, okay. Where it's a fake one. So the sword that was left, quote-unquote, in the will was the fake one, but they did this on purpose so that it would get confiscated, and then Bellatrix put it in her vault, all this other stuff. The movie, they just decide to say... You aren't entitled to the sword, but also we can't give it to you anyway because the sword is missing. So prior to his death, Dumbledore swapped out the sword, gave uh, Snape the fake one. What did he do with the real one? I think they hid it behind Dumbledore's painting. I'm not 100% right. sure. They hid it somewhere, and then Snape had it hidden in his office so that when he actually gives it to him, because Snape is the one who hides it in the lake and the dope Patronus and everything. They hid it so that uh, Snape could give it to them at the right time when they needed it to destroy the Horcruxes. How is Snape's nail care? Does he use the sword to clean his nails and like push his cuticles back and stuff? I would like to live in the world where he does. It's not very practical. He'd use a smaller implement. Nothing about the wizarding world is practical, Martin. <laughs> a lot of it is about symbolism and just showing off and inconveniencing yourself. Well, so what's the symbolism of doing your cuticle pushing with the sword of Gryffindor. That's not symbolic. Okay. That's just practical. <laughs> well, that's that's, that's their version of practical in that it's 90% harder than it needs to be. It's just a big flex if you can pick at your nails with the sword a sword. Yeah, he also uses it to open letters. <laughs> Chop his grapefruits. Spread butter. It's filthy. Open his envelopes. <laughs> uses it as a walking stick on hikes. Is it dishwasher safe? Does Cannon point to that? I guess it's been at the bottom of a lake, so it's probably dishwasher safe if it can survive <laughs> icy water. He uses it to pretend to be a, a lightsaber. They say that because it's goblin made, it can't rust or dirt. So oh, yeah. yeah, you can put it in the dishwasher. Or maybe you don't even need to. You could spread your anchovy spread with it and it would still be pristine at the end. Anchovy spread. Go. Well, they won't know what gentleman's relish is, will they? That's a very British thing. Yeah, but it's wizard's relish in uh, Wizarding World anyway, and it's uh, probably made out of like some kind of supernatural worm. Ooh. Use it for Vegemite on Use toast. It. That's what I was literally about to say. <laughs> is that just an Australian thing, or is that a British UK thing too? Vegemite? Yeah. Uh, well, we have it in Britain, but it is originally Australian. In Britain, we have something almost... Is Marmite almost... a British one, or is that also Australian? Marmite is the British one. There is also Vegemite, and they taste similar and yet people will defend uh -huh. their respective ones in an unnecessarily powerful way. I think I've had both and I believe that I enjoyed Vegemite more. 
Did you do it properly? I had an Australian friend in high school, and he gave me, much like the song by Men Without Hats, uh-huh. uh, he handed me a Vegemite sandwich. Uh-huh. Though he did not say, I come from a land down under. So isn't it like you had to put butter on it first? And yes, then, okay. that is the key. That's, so I tried it without the butter. It was very disgusting. I believe Hugh Jackman explained that in a late night TV interview once. You need to spread it because it needs lubricant mm. because you only need to distribute a very small amount. Otherwise, it is deeply unpleasant. Because it's really pungent and the jar is really tiny. It's yeah. So the sword, of, the sword of Gryffindor essentially repels grease. It's like kind of an oleophobic kind of uh, material. <laughs> Would that mean you get a very even spread? Because you don't get that thing of like big chunks of butter or uh, Marmite or Vegemite clumping on the sword. fridge cold butter with the sword of Gryffindor? That would be <gasps> such a useful application. Yes. It really seems like this thing should not be used to destroy horcruxes, but instead used in the kitchen to make the best meals. I can imagine an infomercial being selling this. <laughs> you can buy one on QVC. The Sword of Gryffindor. You can you use ever, it for everything. Chop the vegetables. Stir the stew. Have you ever tried to spread butter on some toast, but it doesn't really go right? And then it's like one of those black and white videos of someone trying to do it with uh, the dagger of Ravenclaw, and it doesn't work. <laughs> it's so clumpy. There's gotta be a better way. Sick of using diadems to make your toast? <laughs> you know that in those, they're always showing a knife cutting through a can. Yeah, yeah or a phone The sort of Gryffindor yes. could cut right through a can. <laughs> I love this. So do you think that's what, like, Bobby Flay's secret is? <laughs> He's been using the sword of Gryffindor to uh, get his barbecue rub. <laughs> that's what it is. Does Bobby Flay have secrets? Don't answer that. Yes. Mm. There's probably some lawsuits pending. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Harry Potter, the sword is missing. And the other thing that I think is funny about this scene is that the snitch just flies near Harry's shoulder like it's Navi in... Yeah, it's Zelda. Yeah, in, Z- in The Legend of Zelda. Put it away safely, Harry. Like, he seems not even aware of where it is. It's like his legacy from Dumbledore. Oh. Yeah, you know that snitches are notorious for flying away. And he's yeah. just like, yep, this is on my shoulder. But it has something important to share. It does. So that's why it stays. I open it the clothes. It's got Vegemite in it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a snack. Thanks, Dumbledore. Yeah, because it's like, I open it the clothes. When you need a late night snack before going to bed, Vegemite sandwich. There it is. Boom, boom, boom. So later on, we get the wedding after they've built the tent, which I think is a, a fun little scene. That's and nice. And at the wedding, one of the first things that I thought was great is the dance between Xenophilius and Luna, where they're yeah. spinning in a circle yeah. with jazz hands slash spirit fingers. I thought it was very Apparently fun. Apparently, Vanna Lynch invented those moves and... Mad respect to her. It's very good. Also, I was so happy with the casting of Xenophilius Lovegood because before I watched this movie, I thought, you know who'd make a great Xenophilius Lovegood? That guy from Notting Hill and The Replacements. <laughs> no, the Replacements. <laughs> exactly. And then, is it Reese Ifans? Ifans? Yeah. How do you say this guy's name? Reese Ifans. He's a Welsh actor. He, he kind of looks a bit too young in the face, yes. but I think it's partly that terrible wig that is like Bill Nye's wig, but blonde rather than maroon. Yeah, the, the age thing I think is the only downside is that he does look a little too young, but personality-wise, I thought it was an unbelievably perfect casting choice. Again, but you've got a Welsh actor doing an Irish accent. I, they've both got Irish accents. Not a particularly like, strong or convincing one, I don't think. And also because they grew up just a hill away from the Weasleys. Like, mm-hmm. gosh, I, I'm going to shop up about it eventually, but maybe not yet. Uh, maybe they grew up in Ireland and then they moved after yeah, a couple right. years. Maybe. Some people just keep their accent. Yeah, maybe. that's true. So Aunt Muriel in this scene, I always imagined her being that drunk 
much more cockney sounding aunt at the wedding, but in this film, she's very proper and condescending, which is not the vibe I gathered from Mm. the book. I thought she was going to be a little more like raunchy and rural and down to earth kind of, but alas, we get fancy Aunt Muriel, but I do love Doge. I I think he's just a perfect, lovable old man character here. Doge was the uh, writer. Yes. Yes. The guy that was close with Dumbledore. I loved his outfit, like many jackets. Yep. Layers upon layers. That's that's how you go to a wedding. You got to put layers upon layers, mm-hmm. especially in a Texas wedding. Oh, gosh. That's why my Texas wedding will be in February, <laughs> so that it'll be 75. God. So the wedding is going on, and you miss out on Crumb being at the wedding, which is a sad thing that they've removed from the film. In the book, Jonas, what happens is Victor Crumb is in attendance at the wedding, mm-hmm. which, of course, makes Ron a little upset. Yeah. Because... You know, he's got that history with Hermione. Mm. Also makes Harry upset because Crumb starts saying that Ginny looks really attractive. And Harry, who is disguised as not Harry, he's disguised as a random muggle that looks like it could be a Weasley. Mm. And he's pretending to be a random cousin. So there's a fun scene where Crumb starts noting that Ginny is attractive and Harry has to lie that she has a boyfriend and it's a very fun scene. I wonder if uh, Victor Crumb is related to Salacious Crumb. Who's that? Uh, it's a Star Wars character. Oh, <laughs> the, well. have you, do you watch Star Wars? No, I've seen like two of them. So uh, it's the you can catch that in Tatooine list. <laughs> it's just uh, Jabba the Hutt's like Kabukian, uh, uh monkey lizard that just laughs like this, like. <laughs> Oh, well, I would, yes, it is now canon that they are brothers. Okay, good. But another thing that happens with Victor Crumb being there is that Crumb sees Xenophilus wearing that Deathly Hallows medallion. And you learn that that symbol is one that was also used by Grindelwald, who is another Hitler-esque type oppressive character. And Crumb gets super pissed at Xenophilus for wearing it. Yeah. So this gives you a little more intrigue about that symbol, mm-hmm. which makes it make a little more sense when Hermione notices the symbol in the book. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, Hermione just sees the symbol written twice. Yeah. And she puts two and two together there. Yeah. Whereas they already had their eye out for it because Crumb made such a big deal of it at the wedding. So Victor Crumb is not in this movie. No, he's not. He is in the credits. I think they originally shot him to be in the movie and yeah. then they cut the scene. Okay. Oh. I'm almost positive about that. Yeah. I got to meet the actor that played him <gasps> and I believe that they filmed a scene of him dancing with Hermione at the wedding, but then they cut it. Mm. So unfortunately you miss out on that. Another thing that they do and they change for the movie with the wedding scene is that when Kingsley sends a Patronus to warn that the Death Eaters are coming, it's just a sphere, mm-hmm. which is... Upsetting on many levels. It's a news ball. <laughs> he sends the news ball, which is very boring. But also, Kingsley's Patronus is a lynx, which is just cool. Yeah. And I want to see a lynx. But also, what makes it helpful in the book and annoying here is that this is another instance of a Patronus being used as more than just a means of defense against Dementors. Yeah. Mm. So, in the book, what makes this useful is that 
they send the links and it says the death eaters are coming everybody leave and then you realize oh okay you can use a patronus to do this there was one other time a patronus was done dumbledore sent it but it was kind of vague about it and mm. same thing with tonks this makes it very clear patronuses can be used to send messages and do more than just get rid of death eaters yeah. so later on in the book when snape does the dough to tell harry hey the sword's over here you idiot come get it out of this pond then you are more on board yeah i don't know why they would make it a sphere was the visual effects department too lazy to make a sphinx i don't get it probably a sphinx or a That's lynx sphinx. sorry a lynx. i mean sphinx would be a really cool patronus lynx sphinx what's the difference <laughs> does the lynx talk yeah the lynx talks that would have been cool right yeah it would have been super cool maybe the visual effects department is with you though where it seems a little inappropriate to send the patronus in this circumstance and they're like we're gonna fix that and just make it a ball yeah news ball <laughs> you know news is not fun it's not fun like a lynx it, and it would save a lot more money that way just quicker to do a news ball than a lynx news is spherical in the united kingdom that's just how, yeah that's how it is you guys yeah. have spherical yeah. tvs that only play the news yeah it's actually a muggle thing to send a news ball <laughs> bbc does that so they end up having the mass hysteria of the death eaters crashing the wedding and ron harry and hermione then apparate out of there and I believe that the street that they go to in the movie is different than the street that they go to in the books. And I'm guessing that they changed that just so that they could be at Piccadilly Circus. Probably. Yeah, well, I think it's it's just such a big shift in environment for them. So that contrast is really stark because right. they're somewhere really noisy, really busy, uh, a lot of different looking people who aren't wizards. Um, so it's kind of exciting to see them deal with that. And also it's like, okay, Hermione has got this kind of muggle code switching power because she's probably been there before. Although like where they are is just um, very close to Charing Cross Road, which is where Diagon Alley is. So chances are all wizards have been to Piccadilly Circus before. It's literally like five minutes away. Yeah, I'm trying to look up real quick the other street that they go on. Oh, okay. So in the book, they go to Tottenham Court Road. Right. That's a very large street that's got like... A lot of electrical retailers. You could get, you could buy a camera there. Nice, yeah. not but get yourself a nice tripod. It's not great, but it's like a big, busy road. But it's not as busy as Piccadilly Circus. Yeah, it's unlovely. It's a bit boring. Okay, so it's not as iconic as doing something that is no. basically the Times Square of no. London. They say this is Shaftesbury Avenue. Which yes. runs off Piccadilly Circus. Yes, yeah. they're all close to each other, but Tottenham Court Road is not uh, an iconic looking place. Okay, I guess it makes sense. A directorial decision. Yeah, it's probably just going for, like you said, that shock value of this is very different than where we just were. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be that busy, like on a Saturday night, which is, I presume, when this is, it wouldn't be like all these people swarming up and down, but Piccadilly Circus and Shaftesbury Avenue would. Yeah. Tottenham Court Road is like, there's not any clubs. So there's only a couple of bars on, on mm. there. Mm. It'd be pretty boring on the yeah. Saturday night. Well, there we go. I'm glad I'm learning so much about London yeah. and how the streets work and stuff. <laughs> so speaking of that, they go to this late night cafe and this was something that I was confused by when I covered this in the books. Just the fact that it's just one person making everything at this diner um, and no one else working there. Well, there might be someone in the kitchen in the back who would like fry the eggs and then the person in front taking the orders and making the drinks. But they're That's small. Plausible. Like these cafes are small. There might be like yeah. what, like uh, a dozen tables. But they usually open like morning up till mid afternoon because they tend to, like a lot, the major part of their clientele is like people who work really early shifts and then need to have lunch at like nine a.m. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's a little like the kind of late night cafes. You do get them in Soho, but they're a little more like 
kind of fancy cafes and coffee and cakes rather than that sort of it's what we call in Britain a greasy spoon, which is where you get like a big plate of chips and, yeah. and egg, egg, egg and chips. They're usually open from like 6am till 4pm if that. So there's a little okay. bit of bit of mixing of cultural references. Here. Yeah. Yeah. But I did enjoy seeing Harry, Hermione and Ron in one of those. Yeah. And also I think in there, there's a poster for Equus, which Daniel Radcliffe was in. Of course there. Yes. Ah. I think what was funny is when they're ordering the cappuccino, Ron and Harry not knowing what's happening is very fun. But what I found interesting in this place is that I get that they have to do an excuse for the waitress to go behind the door so she doesn't see the whole fight breaking out. And that's why they give her the headphones, which is not what's done in the book. But just by the way a coffee shop should work, why is the coffee machine behind the door in the kitchen? (laughs) Those are usually right at the counter. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Is that, is that a normal thing? I don't Mm, know. I think it, I think it would usually be, Closer to the action, but then yeah. you wouldn't get that shot of like this fight happening through that window in the yeah. door. That great scene. I mean, that's comedy gold right there. Lovely. They uh, don't do that in movies. I just yeah, I guess they were going for comedy there. It wasn't very funny. But then also after the fight, when she comes out and sees everything destroyed, and then Hermione just yells, Leave! Yeah. Go! Yeah. Get out of here. I, I mean, she could have delivered a better joke, just be like Oops. <laughs> it was like this when we got here. Also, these people have seen a lot. Like if you were running a cafe that's open late at night in central London, you've seen all the shit. Exactly. But realistically, cafes like this can no longer afford to pay the rents in central London. Mm-hmm. Well, they do the scene. They do everything else is pretty similar with them knocking out the other Death Eaters and obliviating them, etc. But then they escape over to Grimald Place and they go inside and they change the way that the booby traps are set up here in the movie. They basically just have a dust Dumbledore, dust yeah. bulldore, if you will, just kind of go up and spook them and then go away. It reminded yeah. me of um, Daniel Radcliffe's film, The Woman in Black, because there's sort of that effect of her like screeching towards the screen and it's frightening. So maybe it's just a lot of Daniel Radcliffe tributes in uh, this part of the film. <laughs> but like it doesn't do anything. It just comes up and just flies towards no. them. Right. You really just have to like scream and then it's all over. Yeah. And you're fine. You're just uh, a bit dusty. Mm-hmm. What happens in the book is that Moody has set a particular spell on Grimald Place such that I believe it calls out Severus Snape's name when you go in and then it's set in a particular way that if Snape talks it's a spell where he can't say anything anymore so he wouldn't be able to do any Mm. spells. It's much more clear that it is targeted against Snape going back since he still has access to Grimald Place but now that he's killed Dumbledore in book six they don't trust Snape anymore so they've set these anti-Snape booby traps but when Hermione explains that this dust Dumbledore is an anti-Snape trap you just have to think why what was that going to do does Snape really not like being dusty Yeah, he's got to leave and wash his cloak it's it's like a PTSD oh no I killed him (laughs) then he leaves (laughs) I guess that's what they were going for I guess like just to to make Snape feel bad guilty yeah okay maybe that's what they were trying Snape wouldn't want to be dusty because it would look like he had dandruff on his black robes. True. And his greasy hair. Dust plus grease is not a good combo. And then Voldemort would be like, oh, I know where you've been. <laughs> That's a dust trap right there. <laughs> <laughs> Classic dust traps, am I right? Well, well, while we're reminiscing about these lovely traps of dust, let's take a little bit of a break for Wingardium Adriosa. Mm-hmm. 
Today's episode of Powderless is brought to you by Tab for a Cause. Let's say hypothetically that you're trying to find some horcruxes, and this is a more modern adaptation of Harry Potter, and you have the internet, and you're trying to search around on the internet for all the different places that they could be. You're doing a bunch of research. You're opening a bunch of new tabs. You want this to be productive even if you don't find the horcruxes. How are you going to make this productive? You're going to install the Google Chrome extension of Tab for a Cause. I have Tab for a Cause set up on my browser. Kelly does as well. It's so nice because you just open a bunch of tabs throughout the day. If you are a garbage person like me, you open hundreds upon hundreds of tabs. And what's great about Tab for a Cause is that every time you open a tab, that is money that you can give to charity. It's great. It's something you're already going to do. You might as well donate to charity while you're doing it. So far on Tap for a Cause, they have raised over $852,000 for charity. That is fantastic. They have a bunch of really great charities to choose from. I've given to water.org. I've given to the Nerdfighteria charity, the fight against World Suck. There are so many good things that you can give to, and it's just something that you're already going to do. Setting it up is so easy. Just go to tabforacause.org slash Potterless. It'll direct you to a page where you can add it to Google Chrome. It's an extension. It takes like two clicks, and then boom, you are saving the world by using the internet. Isn't that great? The internet can be a bad place, but Tab for a Cause makes it a better one. So again, go to Tab for a Cause, T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E dot org slash Potterless today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally. So if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Now, in the Harry Potter world, you have troubles with cell phones in that no one can use them on Hogwarts because technology gets all wonky and stuff. In the non-wizarding world, you have troubles with cell phones in that you can have awful contracts where you get ripped off all the time. Now, you can have a solution to that problem by using Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile sells wireless phone service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and they pass those sweet savings on to you so that you can get wireless plans as cheap as 15 dollars a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You won't have to worry about overpriced monthly bills or unexpected overages. And also, every plan comes with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. I have Mint Mobile hooked up on my work phone right now, and... Every phone call I've had, crystal clear. Every time I've had to use data, very quick. Using hotspots is something that I also get with my plan, and I love having that flexibility. So if you want to ditch overpriced wireless bills, you can do so with Mint Mobile. They have a limited time deal, and you can get a premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash potterless. That's mintmobile.com slash potterless. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So if you want to solve your muggle problems with phones, use Mint Mobile today. Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert. That's right. I'm the same Mike Schubert from the Potterless Podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to hear something similar, well, boy, are you in luck because I make a very similar podcast to Potterless called The Newest Olympian. That is the one that's going on currently. If you get caught up with Potterless, you will see that I only post episodes every month or so. But The Newest Olympian has weekly episodes, and that is a podcast with a similar structure to Potterless. But it's about the Percy Jackson books. That's right. I also didn't read those as a kid. So if you want to hear me going through that whole series for the first time, you can listen to The Newest Olympian wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Newest Olympian or going to our website, thenewestolympian.com. I've made my way through the first five books so far. I covered the first movie and the TV show. I did interviews with people who made the TV show, and I'm soon getting into the Heroes of Olympus sequel books. So again, that's The Newest Olympian, and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts.
<laughs> so a little later on, you see the scene where they're all sleeping in Grimmauld Place and you have Ron and Hermione holding hands from afar, which yeah. I think is very cute and done really well. But then Harry goes upstairs and starts exploring Sirius's room. Why do wizards have such shit old furniture? They could have whatever they wanted. Why does it have to be mm-hmm. this like really gross, uncomfortable, like hundred year old beds? It's the nineties. But they had IKEA in Britain in the nineties. <laughs> we had furnishings. It doesn't have to be this bad. <laughs> the other thing that doesn't make any sense is Sirius's door has a little serious plaque written on it much like the way they have ladies or gents on a bathroom <laughs> in a <Yeah>. bar <laughs> seems like such a strange way to put your name on the door but is it his childhood room would it would that yes it's it? his childhood room it's it's not written in a cute way that's serious yeah. and the r is backwards and yeah. crayon or whatever it's very much hey, he made that when he was a kid he was a very no but like if the parents were like here's your room little serious <laughs> this is my room serious we got this at the bathroom label store <laughs> <laughs> thank you papa i will enjoy it <laughs> that's my best serious british accent. you sound just like him i loved like it like a young gary oldman a gary youngman <laughs> <laughs> they change up a little bit of the room thing here because what's supposed to happen in the book is that you go into serious's room and it looks very different from all the other rooms in the house it's supposed to have gryffindor stuff plastered everywhere Nerd. And then you can see a picture of him and James and the Quidditch team. And then Harry reads a note where Lily wrote to Sirius. And then there's only one part of the note and you don't get the other part of it later when you get it from Snape. And they just toss this all to the side. Then they go into Regulus's room and they very quickly wrap up all of the locket stuff. So Jonas, as someone that hasn't read the books, what is your understanding of the whole Regulus thing? Because the way they convey this in the sixth and seventh movie is incredibly confusing to me. Okay. As far as I know about Regulus, I know nothing about him. And I was very confused because we don't really see this character Mm -hmm. or know much about him throughout this whole movie. Do we know more about him in the eighth movie? Not Really? Okay, so, so he could be essentially a throwaway character. No reason to be in it? So, kind of. They're in this weird middle ground of throwing him away and not throwing him away. Okay. So, what happens in the sixth book is that after Dumbledore dies, because he has the locket that Harry and him got out of the cave yeah. that Voldemort had set up, they open the locket mm-hmm. and you find out that it's a fake locket mm-hmm. because someone with the initials R.A.B. stole the real one and placed it with the fake one. And he wrote that note. And in the sixth book, Harry reads this note and then the squad is trying to figure out who is R.A.B. We have no idea who yeah. this is. You know that someone in Sirius's family is named Regulus Black yeah. from book four or five when you first see the family tree yeah. at Grimald Place. And then the reveal in seven is, oh, that was Regulus Black. And Creature, the house elf, explains more about Regulus. He was a Death Eater up until the very end. And then he turned on Voldemort and he was trying to make him not be able to come back and be evil and was messing with the Horcruxes by switching out the lockets and stuff. But in the movie, you just kind of cut to this part in the movie where they're like, yeah, there were two lockets and one's fake, but this is real. And they seems so hushed. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of it was like Regulus was trying to destroy it. Yes. And then he couldn't. And then someone stole it. uh, What's his name? Stole it. Mundungus, yeah. Mundungus. And then he got it stolen from him. So just really like, it makes no sense to have that character in there to me. It's haphazardly done, I think. They get the point across, but it is a bit confusing and not fleshed out. Do you think that these films ought to be able to stand on their own individually as films without you knowing 
stuff from the books that you then have to apply yourself. They should. Yeah. I don't know that they do. I can't imagine watching this movie and not asking a question or two, at least, of someone who has read the books or looking stuff up later. Yeah. Mm. I don't get how someone could just watch this movie or any of the other ones in the series and just be completely satisfied with knowing everything. Maybe some of the earlier ones, but six, seven, and eight, where there's much more complex Horcrux stuff going on, Mm -hmm. I don't get how you can't read into it further because without the help of the narrator and the pensive trips and all this other stuff, it's hard to process all of it. Yeah. But alas, here we are. (laughs) So Processing it. (laughs) So they kind of just go through that really quickly and... Then they show a scene after all of this with Death Eaters stopping the train on the way to Hogwarts. Mm. And some kid that isn't Draco says, my father will hear about this. I think it might be playing, the guy is supposed to be Zachariah Smith, maybe because of the curly blonde hair. But then they cut to Neville saying, hey, losers, he isn't here, which is great. This is is Neville being like, look, I'm hot now. I got to cement myself as a badass now that I've gone through puberty. Ginny is there. So she didn't get captured or she... Because she is pure blood, she's okay. Yeah, what happened? Like, did people die at the Weasley wedding? I don't know that they ever say if anybody dies at the Weasley wedding. So the Death Eaters are just fucking it up to be jerks. Well, they're going to try to find Harry. And then when Harry leaves, I think everything's okay. Okay. Because, like, if she's going to school, like, nothing happened. They're going to school because that's just what they're supposed to do. And again, this is something that is left out of the movie a little bit is the decision for Ron, Harry and Hermione to leave is a bigger deal. And they have to do more things. They show you a little bit of the Hermione, how she gets out of it. Ron, they do a whole thing where that ghoul in the attic of their house, Mm. they put it in pajamas and then they make it look like it has spattergroit and they're pretending that that's Ron. So if anyone ever (laughs) wonders why Ron isn't at school, they will say that he's really sick and that's why he's not at Hogwarts. So you're right, Jonas. They kind of don't necessarily go into the whole who's at school, why are they at school, what's happening at school. They kind of toss that plot aside, which is more fleshed out in the books. Okay. But yeah, for the sake of what's going down, pure bloods are fine and they want all of them to go to the school because now they're putting evil people in charge of Hogwarts and mm-hmm. they want to start cultivating yeah. more people to join Voldemort. Especially side. pure bloods instead of like any mud bloods or anything. Because like that. all they want are pure bloods. Yeah. Because Voldemort's a Nazi. Yes. <laughs> Allegories. <laughs> so I very much enjoyed Neville's Hey Losers. Yeah. Very good. Very, very good. Then a later on scene, we have the Ministry of Magic, which has a new statue in the middle of it. They don't show the statue getting destroyed in the fifth movie because they just didn't have it there. But you have this new statue here, the Magic is Might statue, where you have the muggles getting crushed by magic in their rightful place. And this is one of the first elements where that statue also felt incredibly Nazi-esque. Yeah. It felt really much like yes. it was really obvious what they were going for there. It's not subtle. No, not at all. Well, what's the sense of people... Okay, the Ministry of Magic seems like a very busy workplace yes. with a lot of staff. Do they all have to get in there by flushing themselves down a toilet? If so, that is very inefficient. Also... Those old-fashioned underground toilets in London, they're not that common anymore. And a lot of people going in there would attract attention. And not coming out. I think. That's the biggest thing. Can you imagine being a regular person in that bathroom? You go to the stall, someone's there, and then somebody else walks in after them? Yeah. What what if you accidentally 
flush your phone into the Ministry of Magic. Right? There's Does a, the Ministry I... of Magic get full of like muggle piss and turds? <laughs> <laughs> you have to it assume must. so. It has to. Yeah. Why would you design this appalling system? They're also not wet when they come out. No, they're not. So mm. they're not wet when they step in either. They describe that in the book that when you step in, you don't get wet because it's all magic. Yeah. Imagine if we were tourists and we're mm-hmm. like, oh, we got to use this restroom. It's going by pretty fast. The line's going long. There must be an uh, exit on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you go in and you're just like, wow, London's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> it's so efficient with their exits and entrances. It's one of those elevators where you go on one side and then the doors behind you open. Well, also all of our elevators are toilets. <laughs> you have to flush yourself from floor to floor. Yeah. The toilet thing was always strange. Mm. I don't even remember why in the books they do it. It's some sort of security measure. How'd you get out again? Do you get popped out of the toilet? Or or does the fireplace bring you back to a toilet? What if there's a muggle on the toilet? Because this is an open toilet. Like, do you get flushed out of the toilet up into whichever muggle is using the toilet? (laughs) It seems like a flawed system. It is. It's a disturbing disturbing piece of infrastructure not a good look why would you invent that nah. like some wizard pranked everyone and then they're like sorry that's all you can have i need a harry potter youtuber out there to do a short film about this <laughs> just like five minutes of what just happened they go back up and they end up in a stall with someone just like <laughs> toilet paper in their hand just not understanding what's going on. Look, you know there's going to be, there has to be a bunch of fan fictions about this where then afterwards they fall in love yeah. and spend yeah. the rest of their lives together. How did you meet? Well, I was just leaving work when I got wedged <laughs> into a muggle's butt. <laughs> Too far? Uh, it was love at first fart. <laughs> so. Love at first shite, as we would say in <laughs> Oh, that's the better pun. Oh, amazing. Good day. You will win the Twitter poll this week of what's the best part of the episode. (laughs) Thank you. That will help my (laughs) self-esteem. Yeah, put that on your resume. Add that to your Wikipedia page. Oh, (laughs) speaking of your Wikipedia page. First off, I was first looking into making a Wikipedia page for Potterless until I learned that you're not supposed to make your own Wikipedia page. No. But when you're making a page or at least searching about making a page, you can see if your thing has been mentioned anywhere else on Wikipedia. And the only mention of Potterless on Wikipedia is your personal Wikipedia page. <laughs> really? Where you list, I don't know if you typed this or someone else made this on your behalf. I don't think I did. No offense okay, to well, you. I no. just don't update my own Wikipedia page unless someone's put a lie it's on it. It's fine. Whoever updated it has a thing where they mention your guest appearance on other podcasts. And it says Helen Zaltzman has appeared on popular podcasts such as 99% invisible something 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 and potterless and i was like i made the cut so then there was no hyperlink because there's no page for potterless so i did the thing where you edit wikipedia and it has an external link so if you click potterless it goes to the episode you are on (laughs) good job it's the only time i've edited wikipedia before (laughs) i'm doing my civic duty Uh, well uh, i can tell you how i got my wikipedia page i did not create it myself But at the time I had an agent and the agent's assistant created it. And that is the only thing my agent ever did for me. (laughs) Slash agent's assistant. Well, it's very nice. And now Potterless exists on part of one Wikipedia page. So I am thankful. (laughs) Looks like... I'm making a Wikipedia page tonight for (laughs) Potterless. Jonas, you are now my agent's assistant. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Do you have an agent? No. Okay. But I am my own agent, and now you've become my assistant. Please make me a Wikipedia page. All right, I got it. Can you represent me? Because I could use it. (laughs) I don't know how to drive my career. 
I'm hurtling towards uh, obsolescence. Now, come on. You're on Potterless, the most popular Harry Potter Yay. podcast on the internet. Yay. <laughs> so where do we leave off? Oh, they're flushing themselves down the flushing toilet. Flushing down the toilets, of course. Muggle butts, remember? Yes, 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 of course. They do the scene in the ministry where Scrimger is talking about all of the stuff that's going on and then has the quote that stood out to me where he says, you have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide when he's talking about the investigations that are going underway. Mm -hmm. And when he said this, I first thought, why does this quote sound familiar? And then I remembered my buddy David, who was on the podcast, made a song about thickness with me (laughs) called Enter Thickness. And he used that quote in the song. And I was like, ah, the thing that me and my friend made, that's why this quote sounds familiar. (laughs) Put that on wiki quotes. Oh, yeah, I should put it on there. There you go. After this mini ministry scene, we're back at Grimald Place because Harry has told Creature to go find Mundungus Fletcher because Creature reveals that Mundungus Fletcher is the one who has the real locket. And when Creature comes back with Mundungus, we also get the return of Dobby, finally, which makes me really happy because they wrote Dobby out of the fourth movie. They wrote Dobby out of the fifth movie. So I'm glad that he's finally made his triumphant return. I never thought I'd be pleased to see Dobby, but Dobby is a really baller in this film. In this one, he's fantastic. I mean, he exists solely to be annoying in the second movie. Yeah. And then in the fourth movie, he gets a little bit better because he helps Harry Potter out and he helps out Winky, but you don't really know about it too much. In the fifth movie is when you really turn on Dobby because that's when he reveals that he's been taking care of Winky, this other house elf that you never meet in the movies, Jonas, because she became alcoholic oh. and he took care of her and that's when he becomes a real sweetheart. So he really turns it around and yes, in I, this uh, seventh book and in this movie, he's such a badass. I stand Dobby mm-hmm. forever. We all stand Dobby. And uh, he's voiced by Toby Jones, who is another great British actor. That's Toby Jones. Toby wow. fucking Jones. Well, Martin's excited. I love Toby Jones. I I'm unfamiliar with Toby Jones's work. He's the guy, he played Truman Capote in the film that wasn't Capote, but uh, I think overall was a better film. Okay. All right. There we go. Toby Jones. Who would have known? Plays uh, Toby Estehazy, I think, in the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy film. With, oh, uh, oh Gary I know that guy. He's in Barbarian Sound Studio. He's in Captain America. Oh, yes. He's the, he plays um, Captain America. He's the scientist, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> no, he plays uh, Zol- uh, Zoloft. <laughs> Zoloft. <laughs> <laughs> Zolum, he's uh, a really chill character. Yeah. He's the guy that turns up in the computer in one of the um, yes, one of the sequels. Arnim Zola, something like that. Yeah, everyone's that favorite Marvel character. Yes. Emil Zola, the painter. So Dobby's back makes me very happy. And when Mundungus comes in, Hermione does Expelliarmus, which actually makes his wand fly away and into her hand, which is a rarity in these movies because Expelliarmus has just become this catch-all spell in the movies where it just does whatever you need it to do, mostly just sending people flying through the air, which is not what Expelliarmus is supposed to do. So I was very excited to see the spell actually do what our Lord and Savior J.K. Rowling intended. (laughs) (laughs) But after you learn from Mundungus what happened with the locket, mainly that Umbridge has it, it cuts right to the heist. And in the movie, Jonas, it is much more thought out. They plan this stealing of the locket back from Umbridge for days. And they're figuring out all that they're going to do with the Polyjuice Potion and which people they're going to steal the hair from and how they're going to make themselves disguised and what they're going to do and all of this stuff, which... I think makes the plan itself funnier is that they've done all this planning and then so much shit goes wrong. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, it's just, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it's already in media's res heist. Yes. I think that's all right. I don't have like a, 
a, a gaping uh, hole in my knowledge of how this went down. Right. Yeah. I can kind of feel that. I in. think it makes sense. So the comedy, the comedy case the joint. Like you can't hang outside the Ministry of Magic because presumably it doesn't have an entrance. It's all those um, toilets. Yeah. yeah. Magic toilets. Magic toilets. Martin was out the room when we were talking about the toilet stuff, so he's oh, he's okay. missed all that glorious time. True comedy goal. I was like, why is Martin so quiet? <laughs> <laughs> Very uncomfortable with the talk of toilets. Martin had gone off to experiment with flushing him down the toilet in our hotel in Seattle <laughs> just to see whether he ended up in the state capital or something. <laughs> Did not succeed. Oh, okay. I've got very wet feet. I do find it stressful them going into this situation. I do think if I was one of them, I would definitely fuck it up. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. It's so nerve-wracking. I like whoever it is that um, Harry is appearing as, though. He seems pretty fun. Yeah, it's interesting because in the book, he's supposed to be somebody that is comically tall, super lanky. I always imagined Abraham Lincoln <laughs> as who Harry transforms into. Just someone very tall and long and lanky. Because that's part of the fun is that Harry is not used to this big body that yeah. he's got, which is kind of silly. But I do appreciate the casting of the person that Ron turns into because the character that Ron turns into is named Reg Cattermole. And the person that is cast as him is the most Reg Cattermole looking person <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if this is a famous British actor, but he looks so much like a Reg Cattermole. Stefan Rodri. He's in Wonder Woman. I'm not familiar with oh, his work. He's a Welsh he's, actor, but he's he's in loads of stuff. Colonel Darnell. They just look so incredibly 70s and middle-aged, don't they? Like, yeah. I, I can't help feeling that every adult, uh, certainly every like non-major character adult in the series is like a critique on adulthood <laughs> from children. <laughs> it's got this like, big moustache and this like, really normie huge haircut. Lapels. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, huge lapels. Yeah, all, of the, all of the clothes that these people that work in the ministry are Retro. wearing are a children's idea of what adults wear. Yeah. It's very dated, but I guess it is the late 90s, so I guess it kind of makes sense, but it feels like they're wearing even older clothes. But they're dressed like Kojak. <laughs> like, like boring Kojak, like if Kojak worked in like a stapler factory. What I had written in my notes is that Harry's outfit looks very much like Bill Lumberg from Office Space. Yeah. The guy who has the suspenders like, yes. yeah, that would be great. He has almost the exact same <laughs> shirt suspender combo. <laughs> But I guess that was in the 90s, so maybe that was the style. Maybe yeah. maybe the costumes are spot on. I suppose wizards don't necessarily subscribe to muggle fashions. They're not supposed to. That's supposed mm. to be a joke of the wizarding world is that they don't understand how muggle clothes work. So I do find it weird that everyone is dressed in business casual attire. 70s business casual, though. Yes. And it's all like clashing prints. I appreciate the dandyism, but I also just think, where are they sourcing these clothes from? And also, where did uh, Umbridge get that awesome pink knitted creature that she's wearing around her neck? Her That's fashions cool. are always very solid yeah. in her, every movie. Her nails. Love a bit of color blocking. Her nails are never out of place. No, they're always perfectly Hell pink no. and prim and proper. I would just say that their fashion sensors are like, they're ahead in magic but they're behind in fashion. But do they have their own clothes manufacturing or do they just get muggle cast-offs? Well, what I always imagine is that vintage? when they were in the ministry, they would just wear robes because mm. they're wizards. And the only time they would wear muggle clothes is when they had to disguise themselves like when they were going to the Wizarding World Cup. And in the books, they always describe that when people do that, they wear silly things. So they have the guy wearing a dress. An old man is wearing a dress at the Wizarding World Cup. And Bob Ogden, when he's checking out the gaunts is wearing a one piece men's 
horizontal red and white striped bathing suit and a trench coat. So you have all these wizards not understanding how muggle clothes work. But ever since the third movie came around, they just decided that, yeah, wizards wear street clothes and it's chill. Well, I would assume they could get like clothing at Diagon Alley and stuff like that. Or Goodwill. (laughs) (laughs) Or (laughs) H&M. You just lose out on the foot of like wizards are supposed to wear robes. Why are they wearing normal people clothes at the office? I guess to make them look more businessy. They make them like fusty bureaucrats, aren't they? Yeah. Like that's the trying to look like they're they're these kind of like boring uh, government workers. But the look is like of these like really odd like 70s British TV shows where like someone's like a slightly dodgy market trader, like Minder or Only Fools and Horses. It's a really odd visual like set of keynotes. I guess. I guess they're just trying to go for peak stuffiness and they're really trying to drive home that the ministry is boring. (laughs) Everyone here is boring. So you see in the ministry all of the workers making these pamphlets about muggles and this is what i talked to earlier they look so much like nazi propaganda which is terrifying another thing that i always thought was terrifying is that they are perfectly square which i don't like a book that is a square (laughs) feels like that's not correct yeah but my new favorite characters in the harry potter universe thanks to their depiction in this movie is the decoy detonators the little black guys that wobble around and explode they look so cute and people are fucking terrified of them they look like adorable bombs they're just like joke box little things why people why is everyone like oh i can't i can't be in the same room i'm guessing they got that from fred and george yes fred and george made those and in the book they described that that's exactly where they got them from but it's the first time you get to see them in action which is really cool so i enjoyed seeing them Then you have all of Harry, Ron, and Hermione trying to sneak around. They get separated because of Yaxley showing up and Umbridge showing up and the elevator and all this. But what unfortunately you lose, and I hate that they got rid of this in the movie, is this amazing scene with Arthur Weasley. Arthur is in the elevator with Harry, who's disguised as Albert Runcorn, and... He is someone that's very much on the side of these investigations that the ministry is doing to try to get rid of all the muggles and half-bloods and everything. You have the scene where Arthur is saying negative things about Runcorn. Obviously, he doesn't know that he's Harry, but he's upset with the behavior and the treatment that he has shown Mm -hmm. for these innocent people. And it's just this amazing scene where you get to see how awesome and how wholesome Arthur Weasley is. Mm -hmm. And I think the movies have still done a good job of seeing that in different parts throughout the series. But I really loved the scene so much in the book and it broke my heart that it wasn't in the movie. But... Alas. Alas, Alas. We, get, we just get sweaty Ron. We get, well, <laughs> rained on Ron. But maybe there's some sweat in there too. <laughs> then later on you have the scene where Harry and Hermione end up breaking up Umbridge's interrogation of yeah. this innocent woman. And they do this a little differently because in the book, Harry's under the invisibility cloak. He kind of sneaks around and ends up scaring Hermione at one point, which is really funny because he has the cloak on yeah. and she doesn't know that he's there, but then she has to act cool. But I did really appreciate that Harry gets to say the amazing line of you're lying and you must not tell lies. The ultimate dig to get back at Umbridge. Cause that's what Umbridge mm, said to Harry. Yeah. So they change it, but I don't think it, it's that different. And you get to see Harry really standing up to Umbridge, which is always a good time. Then the escape is Very different, though. All of the stuff that goes on while they're leaving the ministry is done a little bit differently. In the book. In the book, yeah. 
from how they attack Umbridge and Yaxley to how they get out of there to how they're seen, all this stuff. But one of the biggest things they change is when they're actually leaving. So in the movie, they go over to that fireplace thing, you know, where all of the toilets flush into. Yes. And they apparate away. And what happens in the movie is that they just go to the forest because Yaxley gets in there with them. Yeah. And Hermione is like, oh, we just got to get out of there. In the book, it's this much more complex thing where they're starting to go back to Grimold Place, but then once they see it, Yaxley leaves or they throw him out of their apparition so that he gets stuck there, which does prevent them from going back to Grimald Place. But then Hermione's able to reroute them to the forest where they end okay. up. So it's a little less complex. Again, it's one of those things that I think just makes things a little more simpler in yeah. the movie. So I get it. So yeah, because they just wake up in the forest already. Yes. And she just gives them exposition. Es- oh, she yeah. She gives Ron the essence of Dittany because he got splinched. Yeah. But the effect of them apparating is weird because you have Yaxley's face melding into their faces oh, yeah. and stuff, which I didn't... So it's, like, it's like the thing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, quite, it's quite intense. I didn't particularly need to see that one, and I that's not really something that they ever explained happening. I guess it's just the visual effects team being like, hey, can we do this, guys? Please? Yeah. It'll be super fun. We need to make this links, though. I've got a question about this whole thing, right? They've, they've run off with this, the Horcrux. Like, are we meant to think at this point that Voldemort doesn't have any idea about what's going on. Yes. But it's like, it sort of establishes, right, he can't feel when the Horcrux is destroyed, right? He has no knowledge of that. No, he can't really feel it until, I don't even know if he can feel it at all in the books. In the movies, they kind of make it more of a thing that he can kind of feel it. But yeah, he, at this point, is completely unaware. Well, otherwise otherwise he'd be onto them. But my question is, like, he must know exactly what happened in the Ministry of Magic. Harry Potter and his mates tipped up. They seemed really, really keen on getting this locket. Oh, I wonder what that locket could be. Like, does he not start to think like why would they put themselves at so much risk for something that they're supposed to not know anything about like wouldn't he start to join the dots so that 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 is a confusing element of it because you would think yaxley would report back to Voldemort and say exactly what happened and mention... Or like any of the other like 700 witnesses who were in the room at <laughs> well, the time. Uh, so what, what happens in the book is that before Harry can grab the locket, he stupefies both Yaxley and Umbridge, and then he takes it. So maybe in the book, the way they explain it is that no one else actually saw him take the locket. Everyone else that was chasing after him just saw Harry Potter, who was mm. listed as undesirable number one, Right, right, right. But Umbridge wakes up at some point, and even if she doesn't, it's like, why were they there? Why were they so interested in Umbridge? They turned up, they stupefied her, and then they went away. Like, he's not a stupid guy. Like, he must be like, well, there must be a reason that they were chasing after Umbridge. Maybe it's because of the Horcrux. But Umbridge doesn't know it's a Horcrux. She just thinks it's a old, fancy brooch of sorts right. from way back when. Really? I thought she knew this whole time. She doesn't know it's a Horcrux. She knows that it belongs to the Slytherin family because of the engravement on it, and that's why she mm. takes it off of Mundungus, but I don't think she knows it's a Horcrux, so I guess she wouldn't relay that information. Because Voldemort-, Voldemort is still convinced that the real Horcrux is in the cave. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So when he sees that locket, it's not like, 
That's it. I also don't think Voldemort ever had a one-on-one meeting with Umbridge. She works for the Ministry. She doesn't necessarily work for the Death Eaters. Yeah. So there's no way for that to get back. Right. So as far as he's concerned, that locket is at the bottom of a lake, and no one. Yeah, the locket is in the fountain thing inside of the cave that he's set up. That no one is strong enough to get through. You know, the place with the bad drink. Yes, the bad drink with all the dead people. (laughs) The bucket of fireball and Jägermeister. (laughs) The vat of tea made in a coffee machine. Uh, that is the most British pull you could ever have. <laughs> Helen has been really suffering these last two months. Oh, right, because you've been America, in America. America, why got to be so yes. cruel? But you're in Seattle. You're in the land of coffee. Yes, fuck it. There's this great little startup uh, in Seattle. It's this nice local roastery called Starbucks. You should check them out. Oh, that sounds that sounds festive. <laughs> Lovely. What do they have there? Just coffee? Yeah, I mean, it's just really simple. They just have a really... It's one of those menus where you can... It's like in and out where you can only get one thing. You can yeah. only get coffee. It's it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I, I, my mind is set okay. Good. We're all on the same page. Harry Potter. But he would still be like, "Why the fuck are they turned up at the Ministry of Magic? That's really dangerous. What were they trying to find?" You would think that people would be more confused about why Harry Potter is at the Ministry. Yeah. But I guess they could just be like, "Well, I don't know why. I'll keep an eye on him." I think just these wizards are not smart. They seem to have like one thought at any time. <laughs> one guy was just like, "It's that's Harry Potter." Hey guys, look! Look, it's it's him. It does take a beat before the security guards get in on him. They know he's number one wanted, uh-huh. and most of the people are like, "We have to capture this person," but they just move out of the way. They're basically. so shocked to see him. Yeah, don't know what to do. What do I do in this moment? <laughs> I don't know. So they're finally out and about in the woods, and this begins the camping saga of yes. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And one thing that is funny is that. You're supposed to believe that the bag that Hermione brought, this bag of infinite holding, mm-hmm. she had packed as a emergency just in case with a couple of changes of clothes for the three of them, as well as some books that they need and stuff like that. But as the movie goes on, Harry and Hermione change clothes about eight times. Yeah. So she's brought so many clothes. And it's not just they're changing tops. Can wizards tops. just change the color of their hoodies or whatever? Ah, maybe they could. Because they're not laundering stuff when they're in the tent, are they? <laughs> they're just getting Amazon Prime deliveries to their tent. He's <laughs> <laughs> the sort of Gryffindor to scrape any oil off their traces. <laughs> I mean, the bag is cool if it was in your life, but the problem with it is it's just a kind of plot shortcut to anything being right. solved. Well, no, that's not true. And Hermione always having the answer to get anyone out of anything, pretty much. I mean, she's obviously got her shit together more than any of the other characters. I think it's more of, in the book, they're a bit more intentional about what she has brought. She's brought a specific amount of textbooks, clothes, things that they need, etc. Is it heavy? Does so it have mass? So I think mass? that's what they're trying to get at with the charm that they've put on it, is that it doesn't take up a lot of space and in theory it wouldn't weigh a lot i think that's what's supposed to be the more impressive element less of oh i can grab anything out of here that i need and it's a catch-all and more of look how many fun things i can keep in this bag that doesn't weigh us down and hurt our backs yeah why if you were making a magic tent would you put like some steps up to a platformy bit for no real reason yeah they could get more creative with it they just have a boring normal human person tent yeah well a big one but put in a proper mezzanine if you're going to bother. Put in a spa and a sauna and everything. Yeah. Go all out. A chandelier. Give me MTV Cribs of this tent. Make the bunk look a bit less like a youth hostel. Because you can. <laughs> you're a fucking wizard. You can make it look like anything. Uh, have some imagination. You can get one of the tents from the wizarding thing from uh, Goblet of Fire. Oh, yeah. That super cool tent that the Weasleys have. Yeah. They should. I mean, it was Arthur's. They probably could have taken it. They were at their house yeah. for the wedding. 
So then we start getting more of these hairy dream scenes where he starts seeing into Voldemort's vision and what Voldemort yeah. is seeing. And the first one that you see here in the camping is Voldemort interrogating Grigorovich, one of the wand makers. And again, you just don't learn who this dude is in the movie. Yeah. In the books from Crumb, he explains a little bit more about yeah. Deathly Hallows, his wand, all this other stuff. You learn that there's this other wand maker Besides in Oliver. Europe, besides Ollivander. And it's this guy, Grigorovich. They definitely need more than just those two. Yes, 100%. The whole of Europe. 100%. Definitely. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's a monopoly and it's unfair. But also, it's impractical. If they're in prison, who's doing the ones? Exactly. Everyone needs and a one. Why wand. isn't Ollivander who's, like uh, the richest person in the world? Right. Because he only charges like seven galleons a wand. <laughs> he really should. Supply and demand. He's no competition. Those wands should be a million dollars. Yeah. I disagree with Helen. I think like wands are probably a bit like glasses. And that like the first time you go to a like a wand maker, you get all your stuff checked out. You get exactly the right one for you. And then once you've got that, you're like, yeah, my prescription's not going to change much. You need to start getting it online. So, so they probably don't like, replace their wands. There's probably like a wands or us. It, like in so. the late 90s, you can just <laughs> like order it. And, you know, talk about what kind of wood you want, how big you want it to be, and then it arrives in the post seven days later. If not, they're really screwed if the wand makers are out of action. Or they have like a pawn shop for wands. Oh. And they're like, hey, I need a new wand. Mm. You guys have the best used wands at this location. It's like a goodwill for wands. There's so many different options out there. But for now, you've only got two people. You got Olivander and Gregorovich, the whole thing. Hopefully they're good. Hopefully it's not like Wi-Fi where you can only choose from Spectrum or... Xfinity and they're both garbage. <laughs> Hate it so much. My building only let me pick Spectrum in New York, and oh. I feel like that should be illegal. Yeah. I feel like I should be allowed to pick somebody else, but I wasn't allowed to pick anyone else except Spectrum. And it's they're so bad. Uh, shout out to this episode brought to you by every Wi-Fi provider that isn't Spectrum <laughs> or Xfinity. <laughs> so when Harry sees what Voldemort is seeing in Gregorovich's mind. What's very funny is you see Grindelwald stealing the Elder Wand. Yeah. And the way he steals the Elder Wand is so funny because he has the wand and he's creeped outside of this little window perch. And then he hops out of the window in such a cute little manner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, oop. <laughs> and I think it's so good and cute and silly. And uh, I couldn't help but giggle. The next scene that they have is all of the snatchers becoming established it's a very strange way in which they do it where they decide to make them all punk rockers yeah. where they've all got long wavy hair and leather jackets to show ah they're dressed like adamant yeah i thought that was that do you know adamant uh, well because sheeps wasn't born yet martin no i was like five when adamant. Adamant was around. google adamant yeah look for the song prince charming by adamant oh, it's an absolute banger. i'm thinking of a cartoon where it's an ant that's a superhero that's a that's an actual cartoon superhero thing that's cool think about a slightly less like snarly billy idol yeah this is uh this is a pretty accurate portrayal yeah it's like pre my chemical romance vibe. yes <laughs> they're very they're very much like oh where are you going love where are you off to love well you know the <laughs> the main sorry the main that's a lovely that's a lovely accent is played by nick moran who broke out in lock stock and two smoking barrels by guy ritchie so he was very much in the ah. Oh, what is that, mate? What, oh, because people stop getting shot. Oh, 
I don't know if you can really understand Let's do what Let's do a line of coke and shoot some shit. Oh, brilliant. Scabior is also such a great name. Scabior. Scabior. It sounds like a, a disease, doesn't it? it? It really does. It makes me sad that they never refer to him by name in the movie. Mm. You're yeah. just supposed oh, to know. Oh, Scabior, get over here. Pull up your britches. Oh, Scabior, where'd you get those boots from? <laughs> Very nice. It's a disservice to the people who haven't read the books to know that that character's name is Scabior. It's such a good name. Mm. We need justice for Scabior. What do you think his first name is? Is Scabior first name or surname? Is it's like, like Beyonce. Scabior? <laughs> it's just Scabior. Like a Brazilian soccer player, he's just one name. Isn't there like yeah. a bass player called Rat Scabies? Who is that the bass player for? Like, I don't know, Martin. You're the music the guy here. or something? Again, before Shoes was born. Yeah, this is all like early 80s punk shoes. I still know about things that happened before 1992, <laughs> Helen. Name one thing that happened before 1992. <laughs> My sister was born. Oh. <laughs> no. One other thing. Face. You were born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, Rat Scabies was the drummer from the band The Damned. Oh. Great intel. So it's nice to nice to see a member of The Damned uh, hunting Harry Potter in this movie. Look, there we go. Maybe that's where JK got the name inspiration. Yeah, that's a bit of a leap, Martin, about what, Barry Scabior. Uh, Rat or Scabior. But anyway, all this talk about Scabior, let's say what Scabior actually does. They walk through the woods and they see or they get the sense that someone is there and it's Hermione, Harry, and Ron, but they've got all the protection charms up and you see Scabior staring at where Hermione is and then they do this cool camera trick where they pan behind and you see that he can't see anything and then eventually they leave. But then what Hermione says after they leave is she goes, he could smell it, my perfume, uh, why are you wearing perfume, Hermione? Right? That's, well, I suppose because well, she can fit anything into that bag, so she's just taking every fucking thing. But you can't take a portable shower, so they probably, if they're camping, they right. have them washed and she's trying to cover her stench. And she's also still trying to impress Ron. Oh, yes. I guess that's right. It. Plus, if, if she still yeah, smelled, I thought bullshit. Like, he would still smell the smelliness of her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The disgusting yeah. smelliness. He's, he'll, I suppose they've got to shame her for doing something feminine-seeming. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like wizards should be able to do spells to... There is spells that produce water. There are spells that dry you off. So they should be able to give themselves a shower mm-hmm. with their wands. They're <laughs> exactly. wizards. Yeah. They're exactly. It should be that complicated. Yeah. Like they just point it up and then water just spots out of their spots. Well, you water. can use aguamenti to water yourself down. And then, you, you know, soap womenti for all of the soap. And then the drying one. Well, they could carry soap. That's not the problem. Like the problem is carrying a fully functional bathroom. She's got a magic bag that's got this massive several room tent in it. She's Martin, also got a including wand. wooden platform. <laughs> She's also magic. Mm. You're wizards. Come on, clean yourself up. They could have a full on bathhouse. That perfume thing was a weird line. It's just like Bullshit. they would have been able to smell Ron. You know, <laughs> yeah. his his uh, teenage musk. Exactly. He hasn't showered since before Shubes was born. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a what I can't think of a better way to end this portion of talking about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> so, uh Helena Martin, if people want to find you on the internet. Where can they find you? Uh, well, I do a um, an episode-by-episode, episode, song-by-song podcast about Tom Waits' music called Song by Song, songbysongpodcast.com, and I make music at palebirdmusic.com. We're also on Twitter, as people are. Oh, and yeah. there are names which are hard to spell, so why did I bring it up? Um, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can find my podcast, The Illusionist. That's 
allusionist with an A, not an I, because I do not do magic or the appearance of magic. And also, answer me this and Veronica Mars Investigations, recapping every episode of Veronica Mars. Yeah, all good stuff. What about you, Jonas? Uh, you can find me at Joe Nasty Draws with a Z at the end on all social medias, including uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and I know uh, she was hates it, TikTok. Uh, you can uh, say it. It's fine. <laughs> um, Have fun having all of your data stolen by Chinese government. Hey, they won't steal it from me because I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also... Uh, Find my podcast at Rough Night Movie Podcast, where I, we talk about bad movie franchises, and uh, also the universe according to Rex and Jonas, where we talk about really nerdy shit. Love that. Well, thank you all so much for joining. Listeners, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as they say, in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they say hi to Scabior, <laughs> Wizard on! on! If you're all caught up on Potterless and you're sad about it, don't be sad because the party doesn't stop here. It continues with bonus episodes that are on Patreon. There's hours upon hours of bonus content that you can check out. And I post on social media all of the time. If you just search for Potterless, I will probably show up. So follow me there if you want to continue the magical journey in between episodes. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Jesse Horgan, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary Dodge, Marie Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadineer, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Ross Ann Batamana, Nikita Power, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Grower, Vivian, the Owl, Takari Ron, Haley Hastings, Moster, Ingen Oddstotter, Alex Consilver, John Codker, Noel Basile, Emily Tyrell, Liz Bigelow, Brandon Pickens, Sarah Enson, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Gloria Gillen, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Friday J. Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Naomi Guglielmo, Summer Rathel, Andrea Crock, Lynn Walker, Justin Montero, Christine Saunders, Jacob Parrish, Toothless Walnut, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Ned Atabani, Zina Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Addie, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Lindy Placky, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Aaron Richter, Eileen Gazesh, Violet Sullivan, Lindsay Towning, Keegan Curran, Miranda Manning, Gail Ann, Mr. Folk, Maya, Kieran, Lily Leader Williams, Wire Warrior 4976, Floor Sake, Siri Scars, Ford, Georgia, Peter Wyckoff, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Daniel Fulkerson, Lee Leedley, Elizabeth Christofferson, Michael David Yordi, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly O'Till, Carrie Krempler, Connie Bienkowski, Mary Mateel, Jennifer Went, Jaden Allman, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Samantha Lenz, Kayla M. Simino, Aurora Fruhoff, Emma Clark, Out of Context 69, Marco Cepeda, Hannah Zeters, Courtney Spilker, Victoria McCormick, Marika Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, Julie Walton, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Anna Penalber, Alvarez, Fake Valentine, Brianna Jordan, Jenny, Sarah Saunders, McKenna Tweedy, Mary Joy Moi, Heather, Weekend of Dead Cat Ladies, Javi Guadalupe, Trejo III, Darlene Kerr, Brad Harding, Thomas Chavara, Charlotte, Brianna Cusimano, Kevin Stewart, Lori McDonald, Chrissy Tew, Bugaboo, Jarl Sviven, Haley Logan, Emma, Ashley Enstrom, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Jack McMahon, Jen and Rose Dab, Nicole Linzer, Callahan and Deras, Kylo the Husky, Leah Reed, Melissa Robb, Jordy Wright, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Bill Gil, Victoria Colca Perry, Joe Radwan, Elizabeth Yu, Britt McLean, Molly Bautista, Becca Spry, Anthony Rees Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Courtney Harris, T Run Money, Madison Kyle, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, G, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabot, Melanie DeGrief, David Douglas, Maria, Matt Barger, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterless pod, instagram.com slash potterless podcast, or reddit.com slash r slash potterless for any and all information about the show. You can go to potterlesspodcast.com for bonus content. You can go to patreon.com slash potterless. And for merch, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. If you want to see us live in Los Angeles, go to multitude.production slash live. If you want to tell someone about the show, whether it's in person or on the internet via a review, that helps a ton. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! 
Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert. That's right, I'm the same Mike Schubert from the Potterless Podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to hear something similar, well, boy, are you in luck because I make a very similar podcast to Potterless called The Newest Olympian. That is the one that's going on currently. If you get caught up with Potterless, you will see that I only post episodes every month or so. But The Newest Olympian has weekly episodes, and that is a podcast with a similar structure to Potterless, but it's about the Percy Jackson books. That's right, I also didn't read those as a kid. So if you want to hear me going through that whole series for the first time, you can listen to The Newest Olympian wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Newest Olympian or going to our website, thenewestolympian.com. I've made my way through the first five books so far. I covered the first movie and the TV show. I did interviews with people who made the TV show, and I'm soon getting into the Heroes of Olympus sequel books. So again, that's The Newest Olympian, and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts.